The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, good morning again. I want to ask you to turn, if you would, to, um, to the book of Romans, chapter 8. And it's, it's my great privilege to, um, to be able to teach this morning here at this church that I love. Pastor Scott is away today with family. It's something that's very important for, for us uh, to have. Um, I know that I feel the weight often of, of uh, wanting to do things with, with family, but my job requires work on, on the weekend, and it is always good when he uh, is able to, to get away and spend time with, with his family. So let's pray for him as he's away, and, um, and I, I'm so grateful that he is... Um, so good to give me opportunities like this to to speak to you. So if you're here with us for the first time, um, I'm not the guy who's typically up here, but um, but I'm going to do my best. All right. So we're going to be in Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse eighteen. Um, one great confidence that I have um, as someone who exposits the word of God. That, that word just means to expose, right? To, to show what is there. One great confidence that I have is that when I do this faithfully and uh, when I explain what the word of God means uh, as the original hearers would have understood it and, and how that applies to us today, I have this confidence that I never have to worry about what I say being relevant or being irrelevant. I never have to worry about delivering a deep message or a message that is uh, somehow uh, meaningful because in reality, the Word of God itself in its own essence is deep and is Relevant and is meaningful. In fact, I would say that one of the greatest services that I could do today is just to stand here and read what it says because it has a power to accomplish in your hearts what I have no power to do. It is deep, it is relevant, and it is meaningful. However, as you know and as I know, as, as we read through the Bible, we come across passages that when we are done reading them, we pause and we reflect and we say, that is so, it has so many applications, it, has, it, it, it is so real. Sometimes we, we, we catch a glimpse of something that seems to us to be um, so poignant and so timely. And today as we look at this passage, it's, it's rather long. We're, we're going to look at really verses 31 through 39, but, but we have to begin in verse 18 just to get the full effect. As we read that, I have a confidence about this passage in particular that, that when it goes out and it hits you, it will have some kind of, of point of contact in your life. I'm preaching this morning about the love of God, and I've, I've entitled this sermon, The Love of God, Necessary, Secure, and Particular. 
The love of God is necessary, it is secure, and it is particular. And there's at least one point that I need to make here at the outset, is that when I say that I am about to talk about the Word of God, you might be hearing something that I am not saying. When I say God's love, that might mean to you something that this passage does not communicate. And much of this is because, and I'm right there with you in this kettle that our culture is is boiled in, is that many in our culture on on daytime TV shows or on these call-in request radio shows at night or whatever, everyone seems to have an opinion about what the love of God is. And what his nature is like. And everyone seems to have an opinion and everyone seems to uh, be able to say something. And and everyone, uh, many people uh, other than those who would say that, you know, I'm just an admitted abject atheist. Everyone in our culture likes the idea that God is loving. I think that's universal. Everyone likes the idea that perhaps even if there is a God that he's loving and he's on my side and that for some reason or another everything in my life is going to turn out okay. But what we're going to see today is going to hopefully define and direct our understanding of God's love. Let's let's allow God at least this reverence this morning to allow him to define what his love is. Let's allow that this morning. So first of all, uh, let's read our passage, beginning at Romans 8, verse 18. Paul says this, and we, we understand these to be the words of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, in other words, those of us who are believers, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, and get this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes. He he steps in on our behalf. He, He intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then he, he pivots here into this passage that we're going to consider. He says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach your word, we understand that it is your word, that when the Bible speaks, you speak. And I pray that we would receive that. I pray that we would sit here listening as if you are talking to us because, in fact, you are. And I pray that we could glean from these passages much comfort and that those who today are, are sitting here in our chairs and they're, and they're saying, I believe in God or, or I may or may not believe in God, but I, I, I do not follow Christ. I have not given him my life. I pray that they would see you as worth it this morning because of your great love. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. As I said a few moments ago, the first point that I would like to make about the love of God as we see in this passage is that it is necessary. And, and I'm saying when I say this, I'm saying to you something that I trust you already know, something that you already feel. There's a, a story, and I don't know if it's true. You know, sometimes when, when people preaching say, I heard a story one time, you know, they're, they're saying something that's kind of, uh, it's kind of like a fable, but it, it tells a good story. So what I'm about to say is subject to, be, to being false. But, um, but anyway, it's, it's a neat story that there was a man who lived in Spain and he, um, he was estranged from his son. His son and he did not get along. Uh, they were both kind of bullheaded, and, and over the years, they just didn't talk. And, and it came to the point where this man no longer knew how to even get in touch with his son. Um, but he took out a, an ad in a paper. His son's name was, was Paco. And he took out an ad in the, in the paper there in Madrid. And he said... Um, he said, uh, Paco, meet me at the Madrid Cathedral at noon on this day. All is forgiven. And the story goes that when he was there, there were 800 men named Paco all standing there looking for forgiveness. 
The reality is, is that we know intuitively in our hearts that we need the love of God. We know this, and, and first of all, we know this because we are part of a creation that is broken. Look what he says here in verses 18 through 23. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that we will be revealed. And he says in verse 24, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Creation itself will be set free from bondage. And he goes, he goes on, uh, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we groan waiting for the redemption that is to come. So what he's saying here is he's saying because there is sin in the world, we are part of this creation that is broken. We should see ourselves, there has been great emphasis uh, lately in the last 20 years or 30 years on, on um, Christ being your personal savior. And that is true, and that is good, and that is right. That is a good emphasis. But what we must understand is that we are also just a small cog in a creation that is broken. It is not only people who are broken, but the world is broken. And things will happen to you not because of your own personal willful sin. Things will happen to you in this life that just happen because we live in a broken world. And this is the first reason why we need the love of God. It's true that many times people find themselves in situations that are brought about by their own choices. And I would say that if, if, I, if someone ever came into my office and they were to begin telling me a story about how things are terrible in their life, I would probably begin there by asking them about their choices and, and talking about what they have, have done in their life and how perhaps their decisions have led them to be where they are. But we must not overlook this reality that bad things happen to the saints. Bad things happen to people who are in Christ. I had a teacher in the seventh grade who, uh, he was a math teacher, and he always tried to, to tell us, uh, to explain to us how to multiply negative and positive numbers, right? So if you have two and you multiply it by a negative something, the answer is going to be negative. And he would always say it like this. He would say, when a positive and a negative, when a good thing happens to a bad person, that's bad. When a positive happens to a negative, it's negative. But when a negative, a bad thing happens to a bad person, it's positive. It's a good thing. And he would explain to us this math like that. And, and it, it doesn't it make sense to us that those who are good people ought not have bad things happen to them. But we understand, of course, from the scriptures that this is not always the case. We understand that because we live in a broken world, bad stuff happens to people that is not directly related to their own decisions and their own personal sin. You lose people. Situations don't work out. You don't get the scholarship. You don't get the girl or the guy or whatever the case may be. The reality is that we have the tendency to interpret our lives, the, the events of our lives, 
as related directly to how good of a person we are. And we look at other people too, and we interpret their life the same way. The love of God is necessary because we live in a creation that is broken. And secondly, I would encourage you to see here verses, um, verses 34 and following that the love of God is necessary because we live in a, in a world with other broken sinners. We live in a world with other broken people. It says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, notice all of these things seem to, or at least, at least half of them seem to have to do with what other people do to you. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We get this picture that the norm the normal set of circumstances for the church of Christ is persecution, is danger. We have been blessed or cursed, however you prefer to look at it, to live in a moment in history and in a region of the world where this has been remarkably limited. But any short study of church history or any short study of the church as it is in places other than the southeastern region of the United States today shows a pretty bleak picture of what our brothers and sisters in Christ are enduring. We see that the love of God is necessary because we live among other broken sinners. We need a sense of the love of God because we live in an age where members of Radical groups march Christians down beaches and on video remove their heads, all the while shouting that their God is great. And we need some kind of framework, we need some kind of uh, hardware or furniture in our mind to be able to understand that while those people lose their lives and while you may lose your life for the name of Christ, there is a deeper love that washes over this and that overshadows it that means that the joy you will experience in the presence of God and the joy that is available to you now is deeper than any sorrow that this life can bring is black. God brings a joy that is higher than your sorrow is deep. And that is why we need a picture. We need a sense of the love of God. So it would be somewhat strange if I convinced you of this love of God and I convinced you why you need it and I did not explain what it is. First of all, I would like to show you a few of the things that... that um, that God uses in his word here to define how he expresses his love to you. And the first one is this, in verses 26 and 27, that because God loves you, he does for you what you cannot do yourself. Because God loves you, he does for you what you cannot do yourself. Verses 26 and 27, he says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what, we, uh, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There may be moments in your life when you know I should pray right now. Moments of despair. Moments of tragedy. And in those moments, you don't even know what to pray for. You have this assurance that if you are in Christ, God loves you so much that he in the person of the Holy Spirit, is standing at the right hand of God the Father praying for you what you will not or what you cannot pray yourself. And those prayers are already perfect because it says here that he prays according to the will of God. I don't know about you, but I know that there are moments in my life That even when I know to pray, I do not pray things that are right. And there are moments in my life when I can't even pray. I can't even bring myself to utter words because I don't know what to say. And we have this confidence that because of the love of God... If you are in Christ, he will always for you pray what you should pray if you knew better. And he does that. And you benefit. You benefit from what you cannot even do because of God's love for you. When words don't come, know that the Holy Spirit is pleading your case perfectly before God. Secondly, we see the love of God in this, that God promises that the trials you now endure will be temporary. Um, and, and I would encourage you to look at verse 28. He says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We have the confidence that even if things are not panning out right now, at least in the end, they will be made right. That if you are now uh, burdened under the weight of the reality that, that your health is failing, that perhaps your days are drawing short, or, or that holidays now bring reminders of things that used to be more than they bring hope of how things might one day be. That you, because of God's love, will not be made to endure that forever. Because a greater joy is coming And even if God does not rectify everything that you think ought to be rectified in this life, he will one day. And it will be a greater joy then than the sorrow you feel now is deep. I heard a story of a brother in Christ, and this story is true. Okay, I can verify this one. Sometimes, you know, people, when you tell a story, they ask you, uh, is that true or are you just preaching? What, what a terrible thing to say. What a terrible thing to say. But this story is true, and it was of a brother uh, in Christ who was aging, and, and it was very clear that he was at the end of his life. 
He was sitting in a hospital bed, laying in a hospital bed, and uh, his pastor came to visit him. And he, the pastor, you never know what to say in these circumstances, by the way, folks. But the pastor sat down and, and said to him, he said, well, friend, how are you doing? And his response back to him was, I'm doing just fine if everything you've always said is true. And he did not mean that in a snarky way. He did not mean that in kind of like this gotcha way. He said, if it is true what the word of God says, that I am about to be better than I ever have been. The Lord, the Lord will not allow you, those of you who are in Christ, to endure the trial you are now going through forever. He will not. He will not. Thirdly, God promises that there is an unseen purpose for what you are enduring. And this is the point where I hesitate because those of you, those of us who are walking through things that seem unfair, you're walking through something that seems inexplicable, it seems to have no rhyme or reason, what I'm about to say has the tendency to sound flippant or trite or uncaring, but it is true that for those who are in Christ, you can have the assurance that your good times have a purpose and have a meaning. And you can have the assurance that your bad times have a purpose and have a meaning. And he says this in, um, in verse 28 again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God tells us these promises because, and I can bear witness to this, it is in the moment of abject sorrow that you will be the least likely to remember and to believe the things that you ought to remember and to believe. And it is for that reason that God has written down for us promises that we might see them and remember them. Because you will not be easily caused to be joyful in those moments. God reminds us of these things. He reminds us of the purpose he has. He says that he is near to the brokenhearted. Why? Because he knows that the first question that we ask as humans, he made us, he knows the first question we ask is why? Or why not? And verses 35 and 36 say this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation separate us? Or distress? Or shall persecution separate us? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? As it is written, and he goes on to talk about even being killed for the sake of Christ. And the reason that he paints this bleak picture is so that he may come back in verse 37 and say, No, in all of those things, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Just like a diamond in the jewelry store showcase... The, the bleaker and the blacker the backdrop, the greater the glory. So even, even in all of this, my love surpasses. 
Secondly, I would want to encourage you to to show you uh, how this passage speaks of God's love as being secure. This love that I have just explained to you or that I've sought to explain to you, it is no good if it changes. It is no good if it only lasts for a few moments. But this love is secure. This love is no good if, if, if God loves like we love. He says this, we we can have confidence that God's love will never change because it is rooted in his giving of the son. Verses 31 and 32 say this. um, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Our sorrows and our understanding of God's love should always be interpreted through God's giving of his son to us. He said, God, I have endured loss. And God says, I, for your sake, have endured a greater loss. He said, God, I I lost this or that person or I lost this job or I lost that. And he says to you, I, for your sake, lost my son. In a word, he endured for us a greater loss than we now experience. And because of this, we can be certain that his love will always surpass the trials that we endure. It is rooted in the giving of his son. Secondly, I want to encourage you to see in verses 33 through 39, of course, you know, what shall separate us? Who shall bring a charge? Notice that God's love for you in the midst of your sorrow is connected to his love for you in salvation. And his love for you in salvation is secure. Does that make sense? God's love for you in your sorrow is connected to how he loves you in salvation. And his love for you in salvation cannot change. So you can have confidence that his love is secure. He, he, he roots it in, in how he is just and loving at the same time. Verses 33 through 39, he says, Who shall bring a charge? What shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing is the answer to these rhetorical questions. Nothing shall separate us. Nothing. It's, it reminds me of, I am frequently do this, but there's an episode of Andy Griffith where he, um, Andy, of course, always judicious and always making the right decisions, it seems. Um, he is uh, fishing with uh, his son, Opie, and Floyd, the barber, and, uh, and Barney, his deputy, and as they are coming back out to the car, they're on this dirt road where they're trying to make the hills of California look like North Carolina. And, um, and here comes this car, this uh, some kind of Ford, um, because all the cars were Ford. And it comes speeding down this dirt road and at a rate of speed that is, is, is pretty foolish for a dirt road. And they hop in the patrol car and, and chase down this speeder and... Um, and pull the car over and it happens to be a woman who is from out of town and that's the name of the episode is the woman speeder and um and they they come into town and and the woman follows them back to the courthouse and uh because she has demanded to speak to the justice of the peace 
that how in the world could, could this sheriff give her a $10 fine? I'm going to appeal it to the justice of the peace. And they walk into the courthouse, and, and if you know the story, Andy sits down behind the desk, and there's this placard that says, Sheriff... And she says, I'm, I'm, here, you know, I'm ready to speak to the justice of the peace. And he says, okay, and turns the sign around. And on the other side of the sign, it says justice of the peace. Because he's the one who arrests and he's the one who sets the, in this small town, sets the, the fines. He's the one who, uh, he, he becomes, he's the law enforcement officer. And he's also the one who has the ability to set the fine and to let people off if he wishes. And uh, while we can, we can understand that a human like Andy Griffiths, particularly a, a, a fictional one, would not always make the right decisions, we can understand that our God operates in much the same way. That he is the only one who has a standing in bringing charges against us. He says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Only God has the ability to do that. And only God has the ability to set us free. And isn't it a good thing that he always makes just judgments? Isn't it a terrible thing that he always makes just judgments? He never lets us off, but he has provided in his son the scapegoat. He has provided in the son the one who will set us free. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? No one, no one, if we are in Christ. Thirdly, I would like to show you that God's love is rooted in the reality that salvation comes from him alone. This little exercise here. If salvation is from us, if it issues from us, then it is subject to change because we are subject to change. But if salvation issues from God who has never changed and never will change, then we can have confidence that our salvation will always be secure because God is not like one of these, you know, Greek mythology things that is always the gods get angry and we have to appease them and, and they're always, you know, kind of uh, shifting with the winds. But we understand uh, that God's love for us is rooted in his salvation, which never change. Um, the love of God is secure because it is God who has control over our salvation from beginning to end. And I, I would encourage you to look at verses 28 through 30 to see that salvation is sure and that our um, emphasis seems to be downplayed here. Um, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined in order to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We have this sense here that our salvation, as Paul writes in Ephesians, is secure and is kept for us because our security in our salvation is not dependent upon how well we jump through the hoops or not. It is kept in heaven for us and it is based on the love of God. When you are in the moment of despair, 
Few things are more comforting than to know that you are loved by a God who does not change and that you are saved by a salvation that you cannot lose. As the, as the writer, author, speaker, R.C. Sproul says, if I could lose my salvation, I would have. I know me. I would have. Thirdly, I want to encourage you to see that God's love is particular. This is a truth, and this is the, the last main point that I'll make, and I, I so appreciate uh, you, you following me through this. The last point I will make is that God's love is particular. And what I mean is that, is that God's main conduit of his love coming through to us is through the Son. So while many in our culture would say that, yes, I believe in God generally and that I believe that God is on my side and I believe that for one reason or another he is for me and he uh, is going to work everything in my life out for my good somehow, what we see in this passage is that it is only through the Son that God directs his love toward people. And if we are outside of the sun, then we have no confidence that God is on our side. There are many who would say in our culture, I mean, if you look at the stats every year, many people believe in God. But not many people are trusting in the sun as God's means of, of channeling his love to us. And look at this. All of these promises have this qualifier All of these promises say this. Look in verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of whom? Of the sons of God. In other words, those who are his. Those who are in his family. He says in verse 21 that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of whom? Of the children of God. He says this in verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, those who are in Christ and who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. So this love is in its fullest expression. Of course, we can understand that God allows the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, but his love and salvation and his love for individuals comes through the Son, Jesus. And outside of Jesus, there is no full love of God. He goes on to say this. And he, verse 27, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for whom? For the saints. It's a particular group. And we know, verse 28, that for those who love God, for those who love God, all things will work together for good. As offensive as I know it may sound, at least God has done us the service of showing us how he directs his love to us. He's shown us the way, and it is through his son. All things work together for good for those who are called for those who are called according to his purpose. And he says this when he says, who's gonna gonna accuse you? Who is going to accuse you? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who will bring a charge against those who are in Christ? No one. 
But these benefits only come through the Son, through faith in Him. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through Him who loved us. All these qualifiers seem to point in the same direction that this love of God that is so necessary and is so secure is also particular. And this love of God comes to us through faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the God-man. And he nails nails it home here in the last verse. Nor height nor depth, nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus, our Lord. If you ever want to do something fun, march through the epistles, march through the, 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 the New Testament, and every time you see a phrase that says this, that says, in Christ, highlight it. Or every time you see a phrase that says, for those who, highlight it. Because the reality is, as, as offensive as it might seem to our generation, our generation wants to believe that, that there's no such thing as exclusion. It only makes sense that if God loves his son ultimately, then ultimate love can only be found in the son. If God directs his love through the son, then we had better be in the son if we are going to be the benefactors of of all of these blessings and of all of this assurance uh, because God... Uh, he, he says this in Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by, by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. So we had better be in the Son. So here's the takeaway. Some of you here, I understand, are you're here and you are trusting in Christ, but perhaps over the years you have become so unfamiliar with this love because perhaps of events that have happened in your life. You've become so unfamiliar with this love, perhaps because you've just neglected to give yourself to it and and to learning about it and to seeing it in the scriptures. You you believe that, that your life depends on how well you satisfy an angry God's requirements and you're tired, and you're, you're weary. But today, God is calling you to repentance. He's calling you, all of us, daily to repentance. But you're in this camp, and God is calling you to see that salvation is from Him. And that even the events in your life that seem to have calloused you and seem to have pushed you away, they have in fact brought you to this moment where you are able to see God for who he is and you are able to recognize what his love is really like. And you sense today, this morning, that he is nudging your heart to turn away from the the anti-gospel beliefs that you have in your heart, perhaps these things where you, you believe that for some reason, if God is going to be happy with you, it's because of what you do. But just like an old fracture that never healed correctly, God has broken that so that it might be set right again. Others of you are here and and you were very honest about the uh, reality that you're, you're not following Christ. You're not saying, Hey, I'm someone who's given my life to this. Um, but, but today, you recognize 
that even though you believe in God or even though you believe that he's on your side, you've never come to God through his son. And in looking at the scriptures, you agree with what God has said, not necessarily with what I have said. You've agreed with what God has said that salvation, that forgiveness for your sins only comes through the son. And you've tried to come to God based on different things, based on your being a good father or your being a good mother or, or your being a good person or, or, um, or whatever the case may be. But today you see that it's only through the son that God's love in its fullest expression might be directed to you. You need forgiveness and you need justification. I just spoke about this this morning in, in Sunday school. You know the difference between forgiveness, which is what Paco needed in Madrid, the difference between forgiveness and justification is that while we have, let's say you have a debt of a million dollars, forgiveness wipes that million dollar debt away and now you have zero dollars. You're no longer in debt. But what Christ has offered, what God has offered through his son, through Jesus, is he has, yes, canceled the debt, he has forgiven you, but he has justified you. He has credited your account with everything that, that, that his son owns. Everything that is his becomes yours if you are in him. It's like uh, I used to stay at my aunt and uncle's house um, on, on a farm in the summer. And I was so envious of, of my cousin because he got to live there all the time. You know, if he wanted to, he could go out on the boat. If he wanted, if he wanted to, he could go out and, and shoot a gun. And nobody cared. And one thing they would tell me when I would get there was, hey, our home is your home. Whatever's here is yours. Whatever is in the cupboard, whatever's in the fridge, you can have. Whatever we need to, if we need to go down to the store and buy the cereal that you like, we'll do that. Because while you're here, you are ours. And whatever is ours is yours. And that is a, a picture of what God's justification, his making you right does. If you are in him, whatever is his becomes yours. It gets credited to your account. Third group, perhaps you're here and you are just needing to understand the love of God anew because you are walking through something that seems absolutely senseless. You are walking through something that seems to have absolutely no purpose. And I, I even hesitate to give you advice. Because it all sounds useless. But I can say this, that God gives us these pictures of how he loves us so that when we do not feel it, we can still hold on to it. We can still have a promise from him that he is not absent. God loves you in the Son. And since his love for the son will never be shaken, his love for you will never be shaken. If you are today, I, I always, this is always so awkward for me. I, I don't know what to call you to other than to say this, is that the word of God always requires a response. The word of God always requires from us daily some kind of repentance. And there is a group of you in this room, perhaps, who need to respond for the first time to God's love. You need to say, I need to come to God through his son. 
I'm here to show you how to do that if you need to know how to do that. I'm here to rejoice with you. If you need to come up here and use this stage as a, as a venue or a place to, um, to, to speak to God, to have brothers and sisters even pray with you, we have a means for that out these doors and, and around there. And we're going to give you the opportunity in a moment after I pray to do that. And, um, but right now I'm going to pray and we're going to go into a moment where we just reflect on what God's word has said so that we could consider in our hearts what response is required of us this morning. So pray with me and, and we'll, we'll continue. Lord, you have given us everything in your son and no matter uh, what doubts and no matter what kinds of fears or sorrows we endure, we have this confidence that you know what it is like because you have endured more for our benefit. And God, for, for the one in here who does not know you, I pray that today that they would not harden their heart, but that they would come and, and, and ask what it means to, to come to God through the Son, through the one who died for us, through the one who, though we were sinners and he was perfect, he on the cross died to pay the debt for our sins that we deserve to die for and to give us the life that we don't deserve. And I pray that, that we would see this morning and agree with your word that no one comes to the Father but by the Son. I pray for the one who is brokenhearted. I pray that you would now begin your work, continue your work of mending hearts and of seeing that at the very least, God, know, you know what it's like and that you have endured sorrow for us. For the one here is, who is confused, I pray that they would come to you in repentance and see that, that when we ask you by the Holy Spirit to change us in the ways that we need to be changed, Lord, you do your work like a great physician. I pray, Lord, that we would respond as we need to in the name of Christ. Amen. As we reflect for a few moments, as I said, what this time is for is that you may worship, that you may consider what the Word of God that, that you have heard today means for you by way of a response. And if you need, to, if you need, if you have questions, if you have doubts, I, I would love to, to begin a conversation even this morning um, of, of how to how to interpret these things by Christ and how to have him come and, and set things right again. So come. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.